Well, hello and welcome to a very special one-off How to Wow podcast. It's a super espresso shot with the one, the only, Dave Grohl. He of the Foo Fighters, the Super Grohl, is with us. He joined me in my bedroom at home here in the UK from his uber cool rock and roll pad over there in LA, in Los Angeles, on the eve of the release of the Foo Fighters Medicine at Midnight 10th studio album. It should have been their 25th anniversary album, but of course, because of COVID last year, it's been postponed, or its release has been postponed to this year, so it's the 26th year. And this espresso episode of How to Wow is brought to you, let me tell you, by Kinderco. That is K-I-N-D-A, Co., the purveyors of the finest vegan cheese I have ever tasted. And because this is a bonus How to Wow, this is a non-paid-for ad because Kinderco is a small but perfectly formed startup who I think just would benefit very positively from a little bit of How to Wow love because I think they deserve it. All right, okay, so that's kind of coat for your vegan cheese. So today's espresso shot of How to Wow with Dave Grohl is also brought to you by our friends at Better You. The innovative natural health company specializing in the supplementation of the growing number of key nutrients lost through our dramatically changing diet and lifestyle. Better you currently have 25% off their magnesium range until the end of February. And how to wow listeners, that is you, can get free delivery with their order by using the code WOW at checkout. Visit betteryou.com slash wow to get started and find out more. And let's cue the conversation now with Dave Grohl for your Super Grohl, Food Fighters, 10th studio album, Medicine at Midnight. Hi, Chris. Hi, Dave. How are you? I'm well. How are you? <laughs> Pretty good. So here we go. World album release day. Does it always feel the same? Well, this time's a little different, I have to be honest. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's always... Um, it's always a relief, uh, but this time maybe more so since we finished this album a year ago. So we've kind of been waiting for this day for a long, long, long time. So it feels maybe a little bit even sweeter than it normally yeah. would because of what we've been doing the last year. You know, And it was touching girl last year because it was due for February. So it could have happened, couldn't it, really? Yeah, I mean, we were really close. I think the idea was originally the album was going to come out on July 4th. Right. 2020, um, because that was the 25th anniversary to the day of the very first album. So we, you know, we had this big plan, 25th anniversary, uh, 25th anniversary tour and stuff like that. Um, but then obviously we decided to kind of wait. So um, if the Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters, um, 1995, could have emailed some advice to Medicine at Midnight, what might it have emailed? Uh, it would probably be um, relax. A little. Take a deep <laughs> breath. Stop running. Just kind of just walk from point A to point B. I, it, I mean, that's the past 25 years for me has been a steady jog, you know, just nonstop. And, um, yeah. you know, but that's the way that's the way I've always been. It's, it's the way I always do it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think like just take a little time to like sit down, take a deep breath and, and appreciate what's going on. Isn't it funny that the the younger Foo Fighters would be giving the older Foo Fighters more sage advice than the other way around? I mean, you know, I wish I knew 
what I know now <laughs> when I was younger. You know what I mean? Like everybody feels that way somehow, for sure. And of course, Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters, when you were just the Foo Fighter, of course, singularly, um, uh, famously 17 songs, five days. Compare that with the gestation and incubation period of um, Medicine at Midnight. Well, you know, it, it, when I went in to record what became the first Foo Fighters record, I really didn't imagine that it was going to be a band, that it was going to be an album, that it was going to be a quarter of a century. Like, I didn't, none of that stuff. I, I basically just went to a studio down the street from my house, which I could, which I could drive a go-kart to. I had go-karts. I didn't even need to use a car. And so I would like drive down on this little lawnmower engine go-kart and uh, make a pot of coffee and just start recording these things. But I'd, I'd always recorded uh, things by myself. I just never really let anyone hear it. So now, you know, I, I enjoy the process a little more now because I get to share it with the people in my band. I, I see it, sometimes it's a bit more adventurous or a bit more of a, like an exploration. Why don't I try this? I've given myself more time in the studio to actually uh, experiment and, and discover things that I never would have in the six days I made that first record. I mean, that first record was like three or four songs a day and just moving yeah. as fast as we could. So it's it's different now, but it's still as rewarding. It really is. And you seem to have shaken off the LA heebie-jeebies because they were there for a while. Every time you tried to do something in Los Angeles, you had to run back home to Ohio in the basement, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've always been the type of person that in making records, the, the most important, and being in a band, the most important thing to me is the experience. And so you just kind of have to like search for, um, you have to find these environments, right? Because ultimately like the atmosphere of where you are, where you're recording, what you're doing, it influences the outcome. And so that that's, that's the thing I've always been into. Like, let's make a record in a garage. Let's make a record in a haunted house. Let's make a record in eight studios around the country. Like, and, and I, I, I think that it really does influence what people finally hear. And so this this record was made in a haunted house. You did have to sign an NDA. This is all true. And the guy was trying to sell it. Did he sell it? Did you buy it? No clue. I'm never going back. I don't care. It's out of my life. It's, I, I don't want to really relive that. I'm, I'm, I'm better now. Okay. Well, you, you seem well. You seem fine. Um, so we, we're hearing echoes of of uh, the Rolling Stones, David Bowie, uh, Funky, uh, It's Groovy. I've heard it. My kids have heard it. They love it. And ABBA. Tell me about ABBA. Well, I mean, who doesn't love ABBA? I'm serious. I know. Like, I'm with you all the way. You know, it, I'll tell you a funny story really quick. There was one, the one time that Nirvana went to Australia, uh, our promoter was this friend of ours, this guy, Stephen Pavlovich. And we were just playing like, you know, pubs and small theaters and things like that. The band hadn't really blown up yet. So one day in Sydney on a day off, Steve Pav says, hey, do you want to go see this ABBA tribute band? They're playing at a hotel bar. And and Nirvana was like, we weren't we weren't shy about our love of ABBA. Like we, we put them into our bio. We're a mix between like the Sex Pistols and ABBA, right? So we go to this hotel bar and there's this band called Bjorn Again. Okay, they're an Australian ABBA tribute band. I mean, they even, they even spoke in Swedish accents, you know, like they looked like them, they sounded like them. After the show, we met them and we said, you have to come on tour with us. We want you guys to be the opening band. Something happened where, I don't know, someone couldn't get a visa or work permit or something. It never happened until we headlined the, the Reading Festival in 1992. And we, we asked them to play. They came over to play the Reading Festival. They were sort of like halfway up the bill. And we got to handpick all the people on the bill. So I'm thinking, okay, here's all these kids 
that loved Sonic Youth and the Screaming Trees and L7 and all the grunge bands. And here comes ABBA. I thought, okay, this could go one of two ways. They're either going to get bottled off stage or this is going to be the best concert these kids have ever seen. They went out on stage and every single one of those kids and their <laughs> flannels and the long hair and the goatees and the Doc Martens, they all sang every word to every ABBA song. So yeah. you can't, who doesn't love ABBA? I know my kids, my Mamma Mia is that well, Mama, the sequel, I can't remember the name of it. That is their favorite. So that and Les Miserables, they can't get enough. Can't get right, enough. So there's, well, there's a song on our record. It's called Love Dies Young. And yeah. uh, the last song on the record, as we were recording it, I'm like, okay, I have this idea. And I'm strumming a guitar. It's like, like we've done that a thousand times. And we think, uh, okay, so I started strumming the guitar. Taylor starts playing the drums. And I'm like, wow, well, we've used that beat before. Why don't you do that sort of like disco ABBA beat? So it's like, I'm like, cool. Then I start changing the guitar line. I'm like, by the end of the day, we had finished the song. And we were sitting on the couch laughing hysterically. Oh, Dave, hang on had... a sec. So, so, sorry, Dave. It's one of my kids. Sorry, what? Mum wants to know if uh, you're done with the computer yet. I'm interviewing Dave Grohl from... Oh, hi, Dave Hey, buddy. Grohl. How are you? How are you? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Can you tell her I'll be five minutes? Okay. Sorry, Dave. Karen. Listen, I live the, the exact same... <laughs> I have the exact same experience in my house. Anyway, so at the end of the day... We're sitting on the couch. We're just like rolling in laughter on the floor because we managed to make a song that we thought this kind of sounds like ABBA with yeah, Kiss yeah. playing the chorus. Yeah, yeah. You know, love so, it. Yeah, love it. Absolutely love it. Our engineers who 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 do our radio show with us, they said. Um, by the way, you have a touch of um, Benny about you. I think. What do you think about that? Well, the, well, it might be beards. You think? Yeah. I wish I did. God, I wish I had his yeah. ear. That's for sure. And Bjorn again still going. We had the Mal Festival last year. Oh, really? Going. Wow, cool. Yeah, yeah, no, this, as good as ever. I think there's been a few sort of incarnations, but they are still Australian-ish, and they are sweet-ish. Well, they -ish. also <laughs> they also had um, they had the guts that yes, day sir. to play "Smells Like Teen Spirit" before we did. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Very, very cool. Uh, all right. So our engineers were very excited. But anyway, because you, you're coming on, albums out, everybody's rocking, everybody's loving it, especially at the radio station because we all heard it a few days ago. Uh, the excitement is palpable. Um, the reaction we've got from the listeners all over the world is incredible. But our engineers claim, they re Anthony and uh, Gareth, claim they recorded, they recorded you guys at the Acropolis in Athens. Uh, oh, right. Is that a true story? Well, we did uh, we did play at the Acropolis, yes. I, I can't yeah. remember who was engineering, but um, yeah, we did. We got a call one day. I mean, you know, this is our life. We get the call. It's like, <laughs> hi, would you like to play the Acropolis? We're like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, why not? They have concerts there. And I remember when we got there, I thought, uh, I hope we don't break this place. Because I, I, I hope, I could just see like columns just shattering when we first hit the stage. But that was, it was amazing. It was, that was a few years ago. It was great. Yeah. Well, apparently they've been having events there for like thousands of years. <laughs> yes. They, it's, <laughs> it's one of my favorite gigs. Let's say that. Yeah, of course it is. And they also said that, um, did you, you crept outside and you had some tickets and you, some fans heard you might be playing and you handed tickets out to people. They couldn't believe it. Did you remember that bit? I don't remember that, but I do. I mean, look, the way I see our job you know, yeah. as a musician, you know, I, I, there's not a lot of mystery in what the Foo Fighters do. And I like it that way because I like people to feel included or involved. Right. Uh -huh. 
that's the way I felt when I was a kid. When I was young, growing up in Washington, D.C., I was like a little punk rock kid. I went to punk rock clubs with my punk rock friends. I saw punk rock bands. And it was kind of like this community that had nothing to do with all the bells and whistles. It was really just like getting together and like hanging out and digging music, right? Yeah. I still feel that way when I meet a fan on the street, when I meet um, other musicians, when I'm at a festival and I'm meeting all the other bands. You know, I'm the guy that knocks on everybody's dressing room door and says, who wants whiskey? Like, that's me. I go from door to door to door. Who wants a whiskey? Want a whiskey? And and in in that, I just, it makes me, it you know, it, it, it pulls back the curtain and it, and it makes me feel like, oh, we're just all people here that are lucky enough yeah, yeah. to, you know, pay the rent getting up on stage with a guitar. I mean, you've always been a fan. You, you, you remain a fan, don't you? As much as a star, a superstar. Yes. Well, I, I think... I think every musician begins in the same place, right? Yeah. You hear an artist, a song, a record that you really connect to. And if it's like, you know, in that formative window of time when you're a kid trying to discover identity and then like an instrument falls in your lap and you're like, oh, wait, I'm a musician. Well, then after, which you're not at that point, but after, over time, you, uh, you know, that, that, that fire, like that never like dies. Right. So I, I still discover bands new and old that um, that make me feel the same way I did the first time I listened to like Sgt. Peppers, you know, like it's I still have that like that love of music. That's the same as when I was young, for sure. So playing the Acropolis, very cool venue. Um, is it in your top five coolest gigs as a, as a player, as a muso? Yeah, I guess it, that's a give, I mean, give us... that's a long list. You know, everyone always asks me like, what's your favorite show you ever played? And I'm like, um, yeah. probably the one where I fell off the stage and broke my leg. And they're like, what? <laughs> How could that be your favorite? Because I'm like, that never happened. That's never happening again. <laughs> Let's just say that. That, that, that. You know, now there's that, now there's like toddler railing on the stage to make sure I don't just go over the falls. That know? is mad. Uh, what, what's, the, what's the coolest gig you've been at that wasn't yours? Well, you know, the first show I ever saw, I think I was 13 years old, uh, I'd never seen a band, but I had started playing music. I went to a punk rock show in Chicago, and I saw a band called Naked Raygun. So this is before, like, I'd never been in an arena or a festival or anything. Now, there's a band in front of me. My belly's at the lip of the stage. Just people stage diving and, like, spitting and, you know, slam dancing and stuff. And um, and the singer was four, four feet from my face. And I was just like, this this is rock and roll. I think this is rock and roll. <laughs> like this is it and i'll never forget it like i, I will never forget it. but I've, I've seen so many like amazing transcendent cathartic like incredible live uh bands and and um and they move me they still st i'm still very moved when i see a great band on stage and is anybody cooler than bowie backstage because you he, that was a moment for you a slight epiphany wasn't it because you you thought hang on a minute i can be the same on stage as a as I am off stage because that's what he does. I mean, there's just nobody cooler than Bowie. Like Bowie yeah. was just whether he was on stage, off stage, in the studio. I got to record with him one time. Um, even his even his emails were cool. You know what I mean? Like he was just <laughs> he was just the coolest, just the coolest. There's nobody cooler. <laughs> okay, uh, not a bad year uh, this year already. Uh, the Biden inauguration, uh, Bill and Ted last year, of course. <laughs> yeah. uh, 25th anniversary um, last year, spreading into this year, into the 26th year. Um, it's it's all pretty good in the hood, isn't it? You're quite happy. Any? Uh, hang on a second. Oh no, hang on, Dave. Hang on. It's the Super Bowl on Sunday. Oh right. Yeah. 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 You know, it's funny. You've come close a couple of times. 
Well, yeah, we talked to him. I mean, I, like, I know nothing about sports. I just don't. <laughs> when I was young, I was like, I was, a, I played soccer, football. I was always a goalie. I played lacrosse. I was a goalie. I played hockey. Like, and um, I think by the time I discovered like Led Zeppelin, I'm like, man, eh, screw sports. So I just sort of like, I haven't paid attention in so long. So years ago, I just had this like, I had this desire to see like, okay, what do we do next? Okay, we did Wembley. All right, we did the White House. Okay, we play the Acropolis, whatever. Like, what's next? Hey, let's call the Super Bowl. Let's see what they yeah. say. And um, not even knowing like who's on what team and who's playing, like no clue, completely oblivious. No, don't pay no attention to sports, none whatsoever. I just don't pay attention. And uh, we talked to him and I I'll never forget. I was like, I'm on this meeting and the guy's like, okay, uh, well, you realize you're going to have to entertain an entire stadium. Do you think you could do that? I was like, I think I could probably do that. <laughs> yes. And they're like, it's, it's rock and roll this year. It's going to be rock and roll. It's going to be rock and roll. And then I'm like, oh my God, we might actually do it. And then it's, you know, a gigantic pop star or something like that. And then we, and then another year we had another call with them. But this is it. This is the year. It's rock and roll. It's rock and roll. I'm like, cool, man. I got you. Let's go. Yeah. And then another gigantic play. So, um, so it's not something that, I'm not waiting by the phone. Let's just say that. Okay, but it's, it's one to tick off the list, isn't it? I suppose. Did you really call them? You you actually made the not you personally, but did I, I your told team my manager. Them? I'm like, call the Super Bowl. I want to play. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Uh, all right. So ten studio albums. Uh, one word for each album. Right. Okay. So here we go. One word. Okay. Yes. 1995, the Foo Fighters. One word. Naive. <laughs> Beautiful. 1997, the color and the shape. Divorce. Ooh. Uh, 1999, there is nothing left to lose. Barbecue. 2002, one by one. Uh, it's not one word, but seven-year itch, I had to say. 2005, in your honor. Um, <laughs> confusion. <laughs> 2007, echo, silence, patience, and grace. I would have to say uh, freedom. 2011, wasting light. Garage. 2014, Sonic Highways. Um, exhausting. 2017, Concrete and Gold, baby. Um, Arrival. 2021, Medicine at Midnight. Uh, genius. <laughs> All right. Um, have we got time for some questions from the listeners? Are you okay for this? Sure, yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, it's my... 14th birthday on Friday. My name's Rory. Seven years ago, I asked Dave what his favorite Dr. Seuss book was. Uh, he recommended to me If I Ran the Rainforest. Does he have a book recommendation for me now, seven years later? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, there's a good one. Um, well, it's uh, how old is this person now? <laughs> He's now 14. He was seven, and you did talk to him very nicely seven years ago. Right. Uh, let's see. Uh, if he's 14 now, I would have to go with um, Hammer of the Gods. Yeah, it's unbelievable, isn't it? Yes. Fishing for sharks in the zoo next door from the third floor hotel room. Edgewater um, Inn. I've been there. We'll, li we'll leave it at that. Uh, Paul and Lee's, you formed Food Fighters in 1995, the same year as eBay was created. We've all made a random purchase during these lockdowns. What's the best thing you've bought, David? I've well, I've first of all, I've never <laughs> used eBay. Okay. I, I don't even know how to do that. But uh, the, my, my, Best purchase in the pandemic? Wow. I would have to say um, it's probably got to be 
uh, oh, I got a new apron. I got a really cool like leather butcher apron that's pretty. It's pretty cool. Um, who's a better drummer, Dave, you or Taylor from Aaron and Lewisham? Taylor Hawkins, without question. Okay, who's a better drummer, Taylor or Roger Taylor? Ouch. I'm gonna have to say Taylor Hawkins. He would say Roger okay. Taylor, but I'd, I have yeah. to say Taylor Hawkins. Okay, Roger Taylor or Stuart Copeland? God, this is torture. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, you, it's like picking its like picking your favorite child. Apples and oranges. <laughs> yeah. Apples and oranges. yeah, okay, one more. Um, John Bonham or um, Keith Moon? John Bonham. Right, a um, couple more. Uh, what was the first song you wrote on the first V Fighters album and what drove you to write a whole album's worth of music, you nut job, Tommy Marlowe? First song I wrote on the first Foo Fighters record was probably the song Exhausted. All right, uh, three more. You're easily one of the most charismatic and natural frontmen of the last 25 years, Dave Grohl. Did you know you had it in you when you were drumming on Nevermind, says Jim in Nottinghamshire? No. <laughs> I, did, I just did it. I really did it. I know you it did. It took me a long time to become <laughs> such an enchanting frontman. Yeah, it took a while. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, well done. Congratulations, you've arrived. My son, Harry, who's nine, he's the biggest Foo Fighters fan ever. Would like to ask Dave, hey, Dave, what is the one best piece of advice you would give to a nine-year-old guitar player? Also, what do those kids write on their signs that make you pull them out of the crowd at your concerts? I want to know because I want to write that on the sign and be pulled out of one of your concerts. Okay. Harry, uh, whenever we pulled anyone out of the concert, like out of the audience to the stage, first of all, it's never pre-planned, never has been. When I look down and I see someone begging to come up on stage and play, I look at them and I decide, like, okay, this could go one of two ways. This can either be the most incredible experience of all of our lives or a total train wreck. And I'm okay with either. I, like, if if, it, if they come up and they blow everyone's mind and they're the next Jimi Hendrix, yes, we did it. If they come up and it's such a train wreck uh, that everyone wants their money back, yes, we did it. So we'll see. You know. Andrew Sharp in Bolton says, have you made it? Do you feel like you've made it? Well, I made it to the end of yesterday. Let's see if I can make it to the end of today. <laughs> How cool is he? How cool was that? That was an espresso shot of how to wow. 20 minutes of Dave Grohl for you from the Foo Fighters. He is just a dude. People said he's the nicest man in rock and roll. I can now confirm the fact that he's definitely the nicest rock and roll star I've ever had in my bedroom. And I've had a few, let me tell you. All right. If you've enjoyed this How to Wow, then we do really long ones, like proper ones, like long form ones from wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and subscribe and review. Why don't you do that? Give this a five star. Go on. How could you not? Why would you not do that? Okay. 